Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It is our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Now here's today's message with Pastor Michael. We are moving through the book of Acts. We're in Acts 17 today. So take your Bible. Hope you have your Bible today because today is all about the Bible. And if you do decide to keep coming to Living Truth, you're going to need your Bible. So I just do want to tell you that. Okay, so um, Acts 17, we're going to be talking about being a Berean, be a Berean today. Acts 17, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 15, and I think it's obvious by now, we're going to be talking about the power of the Word of God, the centrality of the Word of God, the need that we have to use the Word of God both in gospel preaching and in discipleship. So before we go another moment further, let's seek the Lord. Father, we just want to thank you so much for every precious person that has come to this place today. Those who will listen to this message on the internet, those who may hear it later in radio, Lord, we know that they are precious to you. And we know, Lord, that your word speaks to life. Every uh, angle of life is really covered in the word of God. And so right now, Lord, we know that since your word is breathed out by you, what you tell us is to be good hearers, to be good soil, to have ears to hear what the Spirit says to the church. You are Lord of the church. We want to give you the glory and ask that you would speak to us now from your word. Help us to handle it accurately, to divide it truthfully, to make the appropriate application. And we just thank you so much for giving us your holy inspired word, which will guide our paths and be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. So we just lay this time at your feet in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in Acts 16, when we were together a couple Sundays ago, we saw the missionaries move into Philippi. Uh, doors were closed in certain regions, and so the door was open to go over to Europe. And we talked about how the gospel reached Europe and kept heading west, if you will, and eventually got to the United States. And we're so grateful. It all started in the Holy Land, but it has spread to the nations. And we're grateful for that reality, grateful that the Bible has gotten to us and that people fought for the preservation of the Scriptures. People shed their blood and died that you could have this book so that you could read the plan of God and you could understand what God says about life and the world. And so the missionaries went into Philippi and they were in Europe. And we looked at three stories of transformation. The first woman we saw was Lydia. She was a seller of purple, a rich businesswoman, if you will. And she was by that place of prayer, by the riverside. And there Paul and the missionaries came and they found some Jews assembled, all women in this case. And the Lord opened Lydia's heart to receive the message that Paul spoke to her. The message was about the Messiah. It was about the Christ. She invited them in. And then remember, they went out and they were doing some further preaching. And the second story of transformation was the slave girl, possessed by literally a python spirit. She had a spirit of divination. It allowed her to do some fortune telling and predictions and so forth. And she was accurate by the power of this demonic influence. And she followed the missionaries around for days. And remember, she kept saying, these are men of the Most High God. They've come to tell you the way of salvation. And she was doing it over and over and over again. And finally, after several days of this, Paul annoyed. Do you remember that? 
one of the great sections of the Bible. He was annoyed. It's biblical to be annoyed for the right reason. Said to the spirit, come out of her. And I don't know if she fell into convulsions or whatever, but the spirit came out immediately. She lost her ability for fortune telling and the masters of this slave girl didn't look too kindly on that. And they said, we've got a problem. They dragged him off to the city officials and they were beaten with rods, you remember, and thrown into the inner prison, beaten, bloodied, bruised, spread out, uh, fixed into the stocks and about midnight, they were praying and singing hymns to God. And then, as the old song says, a whole lot of shaking started going on. Because the, there was a jailhouse rock and the, and the place shook and the doors swung open and the chains fell off. And one of the great miracles of that scene was that nobody ran away. They stayed. Paul said, we're all here. Don't kill yourself. Don't take your life. And the trembling jailer, the third story of transformation in Acts 16, said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And as that night unfolded, you remember the jailer, he set food before them, and he began to wash the wounds of Paul and Silas, a beautiful picture of uh, restitution and restoration. And then they went on their way, but they didn't leave with their tails between their legs because, remember, they said, send those men away. And Paul says, no, we're not leaving because we're Roman citizens. You tell those magistrates to come and lead us out. We're not leaving quietly in the middle of the night. This was illegal. They didn't give us a trial. They beat Roman citizens. And then the the rulers had to come. Would you please leave our city? Please, pretty please, with a cherry on top. Okay, so then they left. They got out of the city, and that was the story of Philippi. And so now they're going to move on, and they're going to move to the region of what's called Thessalonica or Thessalonica. If you are a VeggieTales fan and you have small kids, Larry can never say it, so he says, the Thessalonians, he just can't say it. But anyway, so there's two ways to pronounce it. You could either call it Thessalonica or Thessalonica. The region was actually named for the stepsister of Alexander the Great. If you do a little research on Thessalonica, which is now a city called Thessaloniki on the mainland of Greece, and you can see it today, uh, they traveled along the Ignatian Highway. This is a famous Roman highway. There's still um, archaeological uh, elements of it today. You can see pictures of it if you want to Google it. But they were moving basically southwest along this highway and going to different places as they went along. And so notice they were traveling through Amphipolis, which was on the Ignatian Way, and Apollonia. And they didn't stop. They traveled through these two places. Uh, I don't know if that's because they needed a little R&R. And I would imagine after Philippi, you might need a little mini vacation. It could well be that these places didn't have synagogues. And so Paul was always looking for a synagogue as a point of contact. They may have stayed there overnight because they were traveling, you know, quite a few miles, but they moved through, they traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia, and they came to Thessalonica or Thessalonica. This place was uh, probably founded by Cassander. He was one of the generals of uh, Alexander the Great. And uh, he probably married Thessalonica, which turned out that she was the stepsister from my research of Alexander the Great. And so she, the, the city was named after her. 
And this was a major business area, major city. Uh, I think uh, population was several hundred thousand people, very much a commercial center. And uh, this is the city they come to. So they arrive at Thessalonica, and notice what they have found. There, there they found a synagogue of the Jews. And so that was the point of contact. And I think most of you know that Paul wrote two Thessalonian letters. They're first and second Thessalonians. And I want you to turn to First Thessalonians for a second. Paul would reason with these folks for three Sabbaths. First Thessalonians, go to your right. And um, he would speak the word of God to them over a period of time. He may have been there a couple of months. We have a record of three Sabbaths that he reasoned with them from the scriptures. I want you to see what he writes back to the Thessalonians because the church was planted there. And here's what he says. This is 1 Thessalonians 1. Look at verse 5. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit. And with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. 1 Thessalonians 1.6 You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation. We'll see that in a moment. With the joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth so that we have no need to say anything. For they themselves report about us what kind of a reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, that is, Jesus I want you to notice, brothers and sisters, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Now, when Paul writes back to the Thessalonians, he says, look, you guys received the word. There was much tribulation. There was the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you know anything about First and Second Thessalonians, what you do know is it's a very practical letter. Paul's proving that they were genuine. He's telling people that they should work and be honest. And it's the most substantial treatment in the New Testament, except for the book of Revelation about the end times scenario. 2 Thessalonians 2 alone talks about the apostasy, the Antichrist, the restraining influence, keeping him from being revealed in his time. There was a lot of discussion in these teachings about end times doctrine, what we call eschatology, the study of the last things. And these letters are filled with them. And it seemed to be a subject that they wanted to know a lot about, and Paul answered their questions. I want you to move in 1 Thessalonians, move into chapter 2 and pick it up at verse 1. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. It wasn't empty. But after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, we just talked about that, as you know, we had the boldness in our God, and it had to come from God, because Paul and anybody else who was just um, you know, moving in the normal human way would have gone on vacation. You wouldn't have gone to the next town and, and invited this kind of mistreatment, but he said we had the boldness in our God. If you want boldness, it comes from God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit, verse 4, 
But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, who examines our hearts. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, not with a pretext for greed. It wasn't about the money. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ, we might have asserted our authority. And then I want you, if you would, to uh, look at verse 8. Having uh, thus a fond affection for you, we were pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behaved toward you believers. Skip down to verse 13. And for this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received from us the word of God's message, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. I read a story about a pastor who went to a restaurant and he felt led to share the gospel with the waitress. And he didn't have a gospel tract or anything on him. So he took a napkin. Have you ever done this before in a restaurant? Nothing else. So took a pen and napkin and he wrote down the plan of salvation for the waitress. He witnessed to her. He kind of drew it out. And she didn't get saved on the spot, but she kept the napkin. Many months later, he returned to that restaurant. That waitress saw him come in and said, Sir, 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 you're the guy that shared the napkin. Yeah, that's, I'm him. She said, i got to tell you what's happened. I've become a Christian. And not only have I become a Christian, a bunch of my family and friends have become a Christian. And she took out of her pocket the tattered up napkin, old and beat up. She says, I've used this with several people and they've become Christians. Can you redraw it on a new napkin? <laughs> Folks, That's the power of the gospel. It has the power to transform. It has the power, look at verse 13, to perform its work in you who believe. And I have a concern. I'll tell you what it is. The Bible is being removed as a central part of much of the church today. It's taken a second or a third place and now we're doing cool lights and we got to put the stool. We got rid of the pulpit now. Now it's a stool because we got to connect with our audience. And now it's a 30-minute sermonette, usually with very little substance. And it is an epidemic in the church. And I say it to you as a pastor, I don't know why. I have some ideas why pastors are doing this because they think it's a model for success, because they think maybe if you walk in here and, and they can play some secular music that you can connect with and maybe you know not give you too much, maybe you won't be overwhelmed. But here's the truth of the matter. If somebody has finally decided to walk in a church, do you think they're expecting to hear anything other than worship, music, and the Bible's preaching? If they've braved it enough to finally walk in the doors, why bother with the secular stuff? That's what they get out there. They don't need that. What they need is to hear from God. And the Word of God has the power of God 
inherent in it. How do I know that? Well, I'll tell you one reason I know it. Because the source of the Bible, if you're a note taker, is God. All Scripture is inspired by God, literally breathed out by God, and is profitable for rebuke, for correction, for reproof in righteousness that the man of God or the woman of God may be what? Thoroughly equipped for every good work. The gospel, the the Bible, the word of God is not only to be the central part in evangelism, but it's also to be the central part in discipleship. Psalm 19 divides the world and God's word this way. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day, they, the creation, pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no, no voice or language where their voice is not heard. Okay, so we know the creation testifies, God's world testifies, but the second half of Psalm 19 is the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. If you go back and study Psalm 19, it's a very short psalm, you'll see that the testimony to the world is God's world, His creation, and His word. Now there's more than that, but those are two primary testimonies in Psalm 19. That is what we use to reach people. We use natural revelation, that is the cosmos, the created order. It's obvious there's a creator, guys. And then we use the word of God inspired by God. Here's my second point. The word of God has the authority of God. God says in Isaiah 55, 10 and 11, my word that goes forth from my mouth shall not return to me empty without accomplishing the purpose for which I have sent it. And then God uses an image of rain, rain that hits the ground and produces what? A crop. It produces growth or fruit. That's what God's Word does. Now, sometimes God's Word is uncomfortable. Sometimes God's Word is in my kitchen, if you know what I'm saying. Sometimes it's like, And the temptation is to say, Pastor Michael, this belongs to you. And my answer is, no, it doesn't. It's yours. You can keep it. Because here's the deal. I get plenty of them during the week too. And what the Bible forces me to do is look at my heart. Thy word have I treasured in my heart that I might not what? Sin against you. That's in the, the midst of Psalm 119, one of the greatest, long, the longest psalm in the Bible. And what's it about? It's all about the power and authority of the Word of God. We already saw a verse that shows the power of God's Word. It performs its work in you. And now I'm going to take you to the priority of God's Word. So just turn to your right and go to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy. Let's talk about the priority of the Word of God. These are pastoral epistles, First and Second Timothy. They talk about what a pastor should be doing. So no pastor should be wondering what he should be doing. First Timothy 4.13, Paul writes to Timothy, Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, First Timothy 4.13, to exhortation and teaching. Skip down to verse 15. Take pains with these things, 1 Timothy 4.15. Be absorbed in them so that your progress may be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure, see how important this is? 
salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Now we dealt with this verse at a recent men's Bible study and some of the guys said, does this verse mean that you can lose your salvation? What what does it mean it'll ensure your salvation? Think with me, Bible students. The backdrop of 1 and 2 Timothy, what Paul is telling Timothy to guard against and watch out for and be strong is not to give in to false teachers and what? False doctrine. They were preaching another gospel. And Paul's in essence saying to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.16, the way to ensure your salvation and the salvation of the others is don't preach a false gospel. Because a false gospel doesn't have the true Christ in it. And if you don't have the true Christ, you're not going to be saved from the wrath to come. There is another Jesus. There is another gospel. And that's why you center your preaching in the scriptures. Because they speak to these matters. Now we know when Jesus, there's a practical part of the power. In Ephesians 6.17, we're told that the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. And when the devil came to Jesus three times, Jesus, dealing with the devil, said, It is written. No, I'm not going to do that because it is written. Now, our culture and the church culture is struggling with many ethical issues, from abortion to homosexuality. And there's all these points of emphasis, gun control, violence, you name it. And we're trying to figure out, have people been born this way? Is there a gene? What's the problem? How do we figure it out? Look, the moment that you remove a moral absolute, if you don't say that absolutes come from God and there's good evidence that they do, then what ha- ends up happening is the people decide morals. Now, if you lived in Nazi Germany and the leader of that nation and the people that he convinced are deciding morals, you don't want to be there, folks. There's a danger in not having an objective standard that people are saying. But people seem to have a bent in this direction. Yes, some people have a proclivity to addiction. They, they have an addictive personality, in other words. Some people struggle with same-sex attraction. Some people are drawn to other sins. Uh, adultery, gambling, drug use, you name it. Anger. Look, the issue is People say, well, maybe they were born that way. Let me clarify something. They were. They were. David says, in iniquity, my mother conceived me. Look, we come out of the womb kicking and screaming. I don't know if you've noticed. And it goes beyond the high chair days. In the high chair days, oh, Johnny's so wonderful. And then he takes his food and he throws it. We come out that way. What do we got to teach kids to do? We've got to teach them to come to know God and to be honest and to be caring and not be so selfish. Look, are we born that way? Yes. I'm not making a case for a gene. I don't believe that, just so you know what I'm saying. But are we born in sin, kicking and screaming? Of course we are. Every single day, see if you can relate to this. I hope I'm not alone. Every single day, my flesh wants to do a bunch of bad stuff. Every day. 10, 12 times a day. Or more. And I'm a preacher. <laughs> and sometimes my flesh just says, Why did you do that? Just go ahead. And I just shut up. No! I'm not going to do that. Now, why do I do that? Because I want to honor God, because the Holy Spirit's inside me convicting me. But that doesn't mean my flesh doesn't want to do a bunch of bad stuff a bunch of times a day. 
But what happens is I buffet my body, this is what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, and I make it, it my slave, lest by, if I am overcome by sin, and I don't do that, I disqualify myself after I've preached to others. Every day's a battle. Join the party. Look, trying to push down the flesh so it doesn't have mastery over you is part of the struggle of this existence even after you have come to know Christ. If you would like to listen to this message or if you would like more information about the ministry of Living Truth, please visit our website at livingtruthcorona.org. That's livingtruthcorona.org. In Acts chapter 17, we have the story of the Bereans. What is a Berean? Well, this was an area of the world, and a Berean has come to be known as a person who does a little bit of follow-up, or a lot of follow-up. A person who hears something, maybe Bible teaching. Uh, Yeah, that's the context, Bible teaching. But a person who checks it out, a person who is willing to do a little homework a person who's willing to check what's being said and see if it matches with the Bible. You know, there's a lot of people out there today, folks, who are spoon-fed doctrine by organizations, but who don't do their own homework. There's people who sit in evangelical churches and say amen and clap to points that are made that sometimes are not only problematic, but even heretical. And that's why you need to be a Berean. That's why you need to check what's being said. No man is a perfect teacher, so everybody deserves to be checked out. Some men have proven themselves over the years to be faithful to God's word. And so, you know, you you have an idea that when you listen to them, you know it's going to be faithfully taught. But it's important and it's really incumbent upon those of us who listen to pastors, teachers, and others to check out what they're saying. To check it by the scriptures to see if these things were so. Thank you for listening to today's program. Our mission is to get the truth of God's Word out. This is our passion. We want to impact as many people as possible, and we have an opportunity to expand this radio program. And we need you, the listener, to partner with us in prayer and in giving. You can give to our ministry through our website at livingtruthcorona.org. That's livingtruthcorona.org. Hey, I want to invite you to visit our website at livingtruthcorona.org to get more familiar with our church fellowship. If you live in the Inland Empire and don't have a church home, come and worship with us. We have a wonderful church family that meets here in the city of Corona. Our service times are 9th and 11.15 a.m. You can get more information about that at the website. That's livingtruthcorona.org. God bless you.